this morning, uh, KidCon. So um, I came for the beginning of it, and the goal was uh, to, you know, say hi to people if they came in, parents, and meet them and things like that. But then I saw all the balloons. And when I saw all the balloons and then all the children running in here with all the balloons, I couldn't think of a better place to be than in here with the balloons and the children. So uh, needless to say, that's where I ended up. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So much so that Sylvia was passing by as she was dropping off her, her son and thought I was one of the children until I was like, hey. And then uh, I was running around so much, my watch actually uh, prompted me, did I want to start an indoor run? Um, so I didn't, but you know, anyway, kids are awesome and they're so much fun. And another cool thing about kids is they like to help. They like to help. Uh, the problem with that is sometimes their help hinders. Um, there's nothing more frightening then when you're just about to begin an important project, you know, maybe you're preparing something or a fancy dinner, you have important guests coming over, or you're decorating this decadent cake for a very special birthday party. It's like a milestone event. And th there's nothing more frightening than the little voice that's like, can I help? <laughs> it's like, oh. Um... Yeah, so there's that. Then it, it, it slips into mildly inconvenient, though. It goes from frightening to mildly inconvenient when it's not a child anymore, necessarily, but a full-grown adult who is also offering their help, but there's a lot to be done, you know, in a certain amount of time, and you have a lot on your plate, and you just know how to do it already, and you just... The temptation is just, well, I'll just do this myself then because I already know how to do it and, uh, and then it needs to be done a certain way. No, thank you. I'm good. Thanks for asking, though. Like, I really appreciate it. Um, it helps you feel better about the end result because you know how it's going to get done, the accomplishment, the productivity in your life. But it doesn't make other people feel very good, does it? Because they want it to help. It makes them feel not needed or not necessary. Um, I heard once, and I think about this a lot, and it was a saying that says, if, if I can have someone do the job 80% as good as what I could do it, like if it's something you're really, really good at, like it's your thing, and if someone else can come along and do it 80% as good as you, that's a win, and you should let them do that. Um, our heart should be as eager to help others help as it is just to help ourselves. It's not one or the other, it's both. And we're doing this series on how can I help. And Jesus was the epitome of help. His entire mission on the earth was the helping industry. Like honestly, think about it, before he started a conversation, before he entered a time of prayer, before he prepared a meal, his motive was helping people, helping society. Compassion for people flowed through his life. He was about his father's business, it says in the word. It, it says that that's what he went about doing. As a boy, he was found in the temple teaching. He was bringing revelation and understanding to, to leaders twice his age at least. As a man, he fed thousands of people because they were hungry. 
He walked with the few, but he led the multitudes by helping them find purpose, by meeting their needs, by healing their broken parts. No resources, no problem. Heaven sourced it. No comprende, no problem. Revelation would come. No buy-in from the people, no problem. Obedience mattered more. Obedience to the Father. His helping, his leaving heaven got him ripped off and ridiculed so much, but his helping brought salvation and hope for the world. John 4, let's go there. This is the classic, awesome story of the woman at the well, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Lord knew, when he became aware that the Pharisees had been told that Jesus was winning and baptizing more than John, winning, so funny. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He's kind of like, I got no time for this competition stuff, you know. And in doing so, he arrived at a Sumerian town called Sychar near the track of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Here he was. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, but in order to get there, the necessary road took him through Samaria. He wasn't going to Samaria. He was going to Galilee, but he had to go through this way. Samaria, Samaria was necessary. It was like Starbucks, okay? It's like if I'm on my way to Orange County, maybe maybe the goal is Irvine. Maybe that's where I'm going. There, there is a necessary stop on the way to Orange County, and that would be maybe North County, somewhere, San Diego. Starbucks is the necessary stop. Why? Because coffee. And I'm tired, and I need this. And this was Jesus. It was noon already. He was tired, and he needed this. He needed to sit by the well. He needed a drink, so he made the essential stop. This middle-of-the-journey stop to rest and refresh turned into a thing. It turned into a thing. How many know that the end game is not always the whole game or not the even most important part of the game? How many know that sometimes the middle-seeming, not-so-significant coffee break can actually turn into the main event when we lean into his pull and we are tuned into his voice? Jesus, sitting at the well for a minute while his friends ran to get lunch, turned into a two-day revival. Heidi Baker, if you're familiar with Heidi, she is classic at this. In Mozambique, uh, where she runs her her Irish school, and and, uh, it's just this powerful place of everything, Jesus, Um, they, they will have services that were supposed to start at, you know, 10 a.m., for instance. It could be one before everyone gets there. (laughs) They just kind of like meander in. What time does it start? You know, and then when they all show up, that's when they start. Well, when is it done? Oh, when they're done. When they're finished. That's when it's done. And Heidi sometimes will have these important meetings to get to, whether she's speaking or or sharing or something or or running the entire event. And, And on her way, she'll run into someone who needs help. And she could, be, she could stop and be there for four hours and then get there when she gets there. It's amazing. Okay, let's read on. 
verse 7. Presently, it says, when a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to get the food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, if you had only known and recognized God's gift, the gift of the moment, and who's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have instead asked him, and he would have given you the living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. How then can you provide this living water? Are you greater and superior to our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and who used to drink it for himself and his sons and his cattle? See, at this point, it seems reasonable, but maybe this woman is recognizing there's something just unique about the situation. That, that this isn't some kind of rando man meeting her at the well. There's something more because she mentioned Jacob. And Jacob, at this point in her life, was probably one of the highest spiritual authorities that she had known, potentially. Verse 13, Jesus said, all who drink of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever takes the drink of the water I will give shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. For the water that I give him shall become a spring of water welling up, bubbling continually within him for eternal life. A spring. A spring bubbles up. It wells up. And you can actually hear it before you see it. There was a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting by the pool, and this is in the middle of the day, and it's, it's, you know, a beautiful day, and I'm just sitting there, you know, taking in the sun, and then I suddenly hear the irrigation bubbling, <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is weird. Like, why, why would this happen, like, right now? Like, in the middle of the day, that's not the time, you know, and it's bubbles, bubbles, and I can hear... <laughs> And the next thing I know, I'm laying, and I'm being sprayed by the sprinkler right by my chair. I kid you not, not one other sprinkler went off in the whole area. Just that one. I was like, and then my family looks at me. They're like, did that just go off on you? I'm like, yeah, like all wet. Anyway, that's just no reason to tell you that. But anyway... As a spring begins to shoot out, the water begins to just go in every direction. And it seems crazy at first when it starts, but then the shoots of water springing up, hitting each intentional spot with accuracy and consistency for growth and fruitfulness. And this is the life of the righteous. A continuous, accurate, refreshing to people and places it's assigned to. Jesus here was starting this process of calling this lady out of her life, out of her pain, out of her brokenness, and into a new way, into a fresh start. He was helping before she even asked. Verse 15, the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I never will get thirsty again or have to come continually all the way here to draw. See, it was the hottest time of the day. It was noon. And this was not the time that they went to get water, that women went to get water. They would come normally in the cool of the day. This woman came at this time every day, potentially because she couldn't face the other women. She was different. She had a lot of pain, and she'd been through some stuff. 
She had baggage, and she wasn't necessarily accepted like the others. She was potentially an outcast because of the way she lived her unrighteous life. Her saying, hey, I'll, I'll take that water that you're talking about, that one, you know, that I would never need other water again. Uh, I don't know if it was just about the long walk there. I don't know if it was just about the effort to draw the water, the annoyance of this chore in the middle of her day. I wonder, in reading the story, if it was in part, or maybe even the whole of it, was more about the disgrace that she felt. That maybe if she, she got this water that he was talking about, that she'd never be thirsty again, that maybe she wouldn't have to sneak around anymore. Being able to hide a little better, maybe there'd be just less exposure on her life. I wonder if she was just tired of the same old, same old habits and lives and fears and patterns that she's like, I need a change. I'll take that water. At this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman said, I, I have no husband. Jesus said, you've spoken truly in this. For you have five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. See, she wasn't lying. She was hiding. The woman said, okay, I see. I understand you're a prophet. She's like, I see what's happening here now. And it's like her eyes were beginning to be opened by the prophetic word of Jesus. She was being all smart and clever and answering back different things. And Jesus was coming back the same clever way. Yet, yet Jesus' heart all along was, how can I help? He's bringing into light what she truly needs, despite what the proper protocol of the day was. Despite the uncomfortable feeling of the topic. She was, she was seeing and talking about all that was right here in front of her. But he was seeing and talking about all that he could see through her. And he brings up the most awkward thing. And to us, it kind of sounds like he's taunting her a little bit. Like it seems like a little gosh, like I wonder why he said it like that. It seems like this tone is like unfavorable, but we know him. We know him. And because we know him, we know that it wasn't like that, that he was actually gentle and calm and his and goodness and gentleness was coming out of him that was assuring her that she was not being accused. Jesus was trying to get to her heart, to the bottom of what she needed, which was love and forgiveness. See, there's very few people in my life I can speak freely to. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you have the same experience. There's very few people that we can just speak freely to, unfiltered, just, just the way it is, without being concerned that they're going to get offended or take it the wrong way or not understand your motive or, or whatnot. Um, people need that though. We need that. We need people that we can just be free with. And not so that we just don't have to work at it, but just so that there's openness and vulnerability and honesty. When someone in your life truly has that breakthrough in their heart and they understand you and you understand them, there's a beautiful thing that can operate there in love and vulnerability and, and wholeness and healing that can come. 
um, Kaylee, who's the director of children that we've brought up a couple times this morning already, um, when when I first met her, she was a, a new new Christian, and um, she was part of our young adult ministry. And I began to spend time with her just to kind of like help disciple her along. And there came a point when the, Kaylee, and she'll share her story, maybe she already has with you, but Kaylee came from a pretty reckless past, and she had a lot of baggage that she was working through. And there just came times in our interactions where I would really just want to call her higher. And she would sometimes, though, get uh, kind of stuck back in the past. And so there, there was times when it was like more gentle approach, and then there was times when it was like tough love, you know. And I'd, ha- I'd come across like really strong and we reached this point in this, um, you know, in, in as I was discipling her where I said, listen, there's some times when it's just going to be like a rough or I'm just going to say it like it is. But you just need to know that I've got nothing but love for you. And nothing I'm going to say is going to be backhanded or weird or I'm like trying to this passive aggressive thing. Like I'm not going to do that. I have no motive except to see you higher in Jesus. So you know that you never have to take it the wrong way because you, you'll know my heart. And I'm telling you what, I don't know if there's anyone more quick in, or in my life that just heard what I said and said, okay. And she just switched, just like that. And from that point on, literally to this day, I can say anything to Kaylee. And sometimes, it, I know, sometimes it comes, especially if it's late at night. I mean, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I'm not always do it right. I know that. But she'll just receive it because she knows in my heart I've got nothing but love. We need people in our lives like that. And part of the responsibility for that, to get into that place, is on me to make sure I don't break that trust. And part of it is on the other person to be willing enough to risk to trust. But we can do that. I believe we can. This is Jesus right now. He's calling this later lady higher. Not to expose her, but to reveal. His intention wasn't the shame or the guilt, but to literally to open her heart so that she could receive help and healing. Do you ever wonder if he wanted to help why he did it that way? Like maybe he could have done it just even a little better, you know, come across just a, a little bit not abrupt I wondered if he came if he did it this way for a couple reasons first I wondered if he wanted her to know that he was who he says he is later on in verse 26 when he when he tells her is he's not some guy out to get her that maybe has been watching her his whole life, her whole life, watching her fail, watching her make all these mistakes and now he's just gonna air it. I came to the well right now today just to tell your junk to, to just anyone who's around. He said it this way, and you revealed through the prophetic word and went, started there instead of maybe waiting for her to share, to reveal that he was the Messiah, that there was something different about him. It's like, hey, I know everything about you already, but I'm still receiving you. I still sat down with you, didn't I? See, second, I wonder if Jesus knew that when he shares the goodness of God to her, 
the promise, like if he didn't already tell her that he knew everything about her, that if he just started with the goodness of God and the promises and all that God has for her, the living water, he probably knew the first place she would go in her mind to, was to all her failures. That I'm not good enough. I can't receive this. He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know where I'm at. And she would disqualify herself. Maybe just take on all that condemnation take, and just leave. I, I just need to get out of here. If Jesus had ignored the part of her story and didn't lead with that, I wonder if she just would have bailed. Reality was Jesus was helping before she even asked. He was bringing her to a place of salvation by choosing the words that he knew would help and the pattern he knew that she would receive. Then the subject changes, which is just the crazy part of the story, if it's all not crazy enough. And then instead of Jesus saying, hey, hold up, we're talking about something here, he just like moves with her. She says, our forefathers worshiped on this mountain. She found out, you know, that he was Jew. But, but you, Jews, say Jerusalem is the place where it's necessary and proper to worship. She literally changes the subject. Jesus says, woman, believe me, there is a time coming when you will worship the Father, neither just on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you don't know what you're worshiping. You worship what you don't understand. But we know we worship out of knowledge and understanding because salvation comes from the Jews. So he just moves on with her. And then he says, a time will come, however, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking those people as his worshipers. This was what he's talking about here. He's, he's like, it's, it's an unlocalized worship experience. Instead, it will be wherever we are. And, and he's just explaining it to her now. He's like, you know, It'll just go with you. God will be in you, and it'll go with you. And, and then he said, at that time, and even now it's already begun, it's no longer about a place, and we're all going to have understanding. It won't be patterns or rituals based on protocols and habits, earning our way, but there will be depth to our worship, the true heart of worship. So he's like, basically everyone's right here. No one's wrong. The mountain works. The city works. Wherever it works. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying, you know, we'll, we'll all know him. We'll all have revelation. I love how he just continues to go into her, her question. Don't worry, he said. It won't always be like this. Things going to change, things like that. In this moment, this is the great I am speaking these truths out over her about worship. He's saying, I am the better way here. I am the great I am in your life right now. This is incredible. She's, just, she's like maybe sort of getting it, but not quite. But there is something happening. There is an encounter happening. She's not quite there yet. So then she says this. Well, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he arrives, he'll tell us everything we need to know, and he'll make it clear. So this is a big deal. We find out she is a believer, but she's just not living the life, clearly, right now. But she knows, and she believes the Messiah is coming. This means 
she's no doubt ready for a salvation encounter, for a change. So many people are so ready. So ready. So ready. Just waiting for us to stop on our way to work, on our way home, on our way to school, on our way to the park. Sit and talk with them. So many people are ready just to be unlocked with the Spirit of God in you and the obedience of Him through you. So there's this Jesus and there's this woman and it's happening. And there's this moment and, and, and then this and then this. It's like the finale. It's like the crescendo. It's, it's just about to happen. And Jesus says, I who speak with you am he. This was the mic drop. Just then, his disciples came. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talk about this moment being the end of a movie scene with this greatest cliffhanger yet. It is, it is like the series uh, finale with to be continued flashing on the screen right before you. Because it, he says this, I am he who you're speaking of. And then the disciples came. And they wondered. Ooh, why is Jesus talking to this woman? But not one of them ask. They're wondering about it. I wonder why he speaks with her. I wonder what they want. I wonder what she wants. I wonder what he wants. I wonder what's going on here. This isn't right. And it says, then the woman left with her water, without her water jar and went away to the town. They don't say anything. They just show up at the worst possible time ever. And they don't say anything. They just wonder, and there's this awkward silence. And then I, I feel like the look on their faces was enough that the woman's like, this is really weird and awkward. I just got to leave. I mean, we know that because she left her water jug. That's the reason she came. And she just ran away. So she, it, was, it was awkward. She had to get out of there. Also, she, she's just shook by the whole thing because she just realized she just came in contact with the Messiah. And now it's all replaying in her head. Oh, yeah, he did tell me everything about my life. And, and he knew that. So he had to be a prophet. And then I just thought he was a Jew and a prophet. And now he's the Messiah. And I've been waiting for the Messiah and the Messiah. And then we were talking about worship. And I asked him a cool question and all this. And then she, she runs back. This Jewish man who shouldn't have even been sitting with her, speaking to her, sits at the well. And they have a moment. And he sees through her everything about her, yet treats her with love. He has no condemnation on her, not even a hint. He answers her questions. He treats her like a normal human being. She was the bottom. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She had five divorces. She was living common law. And they just sat and talked about some fascinating things. And then he's like, by the way, I'm the Messiah. Eyes wide, jaw drop moment. Head turn, friends show up. Awkward minute, she bails. Why? Because she knows this was weird. She, she's wondering, he didn't, he didn't even air all my stuff. But he, 
welcomed me and I knew about it. But maybe also she's a little excited because she just received freedom for the first time in her life. She's exploding to tell someone. Not these guys, these awkward silent guys that just showed up and was wondering all the weird things. But the people back in the town, I got to tell some because I know some people who are hurting. And I know some people in pain like me. And I just, I just got to tell someone. So she, she runs all the way back, and she begins to tell people. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then the people left the town and set out to go find him. See, I don't know if they thought she was on something, and they were like, what is happening here? We need to follow her. If they were just bored or, or what, but she got their attention. And I I don't know, maybe it was just the grace of the moment. You know, when God is on a moment and there's grace on it, and then that grace extends through you. Because that crowd heard her. And I don't know if they've ever heard her before. I don't know if they ever bothered to listen to her, to be honest, before. But then in this confidence for the first time and the beauty that she had found in him, she shares the miracle, the encounter, the grace the grace, and then they start to follow her back just like that. Can someone say, testify? (laughs) Come on. Gosh, when that moment hits you up, get up. Go. Say something. That grace moment, that testimony that you have in your heart, what God's done for you, he can do for someone else. Let the grace extend. Let the grace extend. All this is happening. The town is in uproar. They're like, all right, let's go see this. This could be the Christ guy. Let's go find out. This lady is different. She looks different. She's acting different. She, it, it, let's go. But meanwhile, back at the well, the disciples are all about lunch. They're like, Rabbi, maybe you should eat something. <laughs> but he, he says, I have food to eat of which you know nothing about. So the disciples look around, and they say, did someone bring him something? (laughs) And then Jesus is like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish and finish this work. Do you not say it's still four months into harvest time? Look, I tell you, look up, observe the fields, They are already white for harvest. See, there are moments of time, and there are seasons from heaven, and we must be obedient in our time and in our season. Jesus' life mission was to help. Jesus was helping before she even asked. Jesus seeing what the physical eye couldn't. Jesus' food, what kept him alive, was serving at the pleasure of the Father. Finishing his work and helping people. That prophetic word, that willingness to help, that, that desire opened the door for more. More for this woman, more for this city. In verse 39, it says, Numerous Samaritans from around the town believe and trusted in him because of what the woman said and declared and testified that he told me everything I ever did. See, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10. 
Someone helped her. So she's like, how can I help someone else? I'll testify. I'll share the goodness of God. I will tell of his mighty works, how he snatched me from the darkness, how he brought me into his marvelous light. I will call out in the city. I will raise my voice and I will lead them back to him. Come on. And then the people showed up. And they asked him to stay longer. We want more. We want more. We want more. A crowd draws a crowd. We want more. Ever been in a service that's literally gone on for hours? Maybe you're wondering if I'm going to go on for hours right now. I've been in services, youth camps, and where you're literally picking the kids up off the floor because they are just so wrecked by the power of God and carrying them back to the room. You're just like, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We just got to get them back. I, I've been in, in, in growing up, I, uh, we had, would have evangelistic services. And we'd have an evangelist come to our church. I grew up in a pastor's home. And we would have like two weeks of special meetings every night, starting at 7, ends when it ends, like the Heidi Baker services. Just ends when it ends. And uh, it would be, I was just like a little girl. And it was, sometimes it would be like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and people would just be there still singing. <laughs> Still singing. And, uh, and then the evangelist was only supposed to be there for two weeks. But after the two weeks, he just wasn't done. So it like, we'd like to invite you to stay another week. All right, we'll stay another week. And he would change his whole calendar for the rest of the year to stay another week. Because God was moving. Yes. Those are some of my fondest memories of a child. The people asked and Jesus said yes. I'll stay. I'm sure he was like, this is my why. This is my why. It isn't Galilee. It was my drink stop. It was my necessary road. My essential pause to stop and rest. But these people are my why. See, beyond that door, there's always more. But we have to open it. It says many more believed and relied on him because of his personal message. Then he got time with them. And they told the woman, now she has friends. Now we no longer believe just because of what you said, for we've heard him for ourselves. And we know he truly is the savior of the world. See, it went from the head to the heart. And then after two days, Jesus went on and went to Galilee. See, there is a wait on your way to your what that reveals your why. It's not all about the end game. When we fail to stop and wait on our way to what he said, we may miss the why of the assignment. Your and my one big why, people, are one big yes to Jesus. So how can we help? How can I help you? How can we help each other? How can we help everyone else? Jesus is always the answer. <laughs> we know that. We've been taught that since we were little. But it's shocking how much we know it, yet we continually look to other places for answers. Here's the end. 
be like Jesus. How? One, be on the necessary path. See, there's many roads that lead to the same destination, but there's one more right than others. Be on the necessary path. Two, listen for the right words. You can hear on surface, and you can say your own opinions, and you can say good thoughts, but you could also take a moment to listen for more and let the Spirit of God prophetically flow through you so you know the patterns that will open a heart ready to receive what you have to say. So when I wake up in the morning, I encourage you to do this. Start with Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. He's right there. Why not say good morning and welcome him into your day? Next, Holy Spirit, could you show me my path today? Could you lead me into your assignments today? May I not miss one. Say that prayer every morning. And then, when you're about your day, speak his words, release his goodness, and create peace wherever you go. How can we help? Be like Jesus. It's simple. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you we have assignments from heaven. And I thank you that, Jesus, when you came, your whole life mission was to help reconcile man to God. I pray that we would carry that same assignment with everything we do and with everything we say. In your name, I just, I just speak blessing over everyone that's here in this morning. And I speak your kingdom and your assignments of heaven would be released for more in your name. And everyone said, come on, amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with <laughs> me.